Hello and thank you for tuning in to the morning edition of the D1T in 5 for Friday, January 27th. Let's jump into this morning's top stories. NCAA VP of Enforcement John Duncan sits down with Connect and MB Sports Matt Banker from the NCAA convention to discuss pressing enforcement matters across the NCAA including NIL, cooperation from members, sports gambling, and more. Duncan offers some best practices as they relate to athletic departments dealing with collectives, telling Banker, we would always rather prevent a violation than process one, and so to the extent that we can, we're happy to work with schools, collectives, with some of the third parties involved in this environment, to share our understanding of what we're seeing, the bylaws as we understand them, in an effort to help schools and collectives not commit violations but also to collect information because we know there are violations occurring, we know there are behaviors out there that are inconsistent with NCAA rules, and those relationships not only help us to prevent violations before they occur, but detect ones on other campuses after they occur. So, the other thing we can share with institutions and with collectives is types of behaviors that we would see that could raise an eyebrow in enforcement. When a collective is announced, here's what we might be looking at. When we hear about collective behaviors, these are things that might cause a question or cause some correspondence with the enforcement staff, and we're always happy to share those things with schools, yet without giving interpretive guidance, which we won't do. The Mercury News' John Wilner reports the Pac-12 will hire a replacement for former CFO Brent Willman, but not for former Pac-12 Network's president Mark Shuken, according to a source with knowledge of the plans. Wilner observes the decision not to replace Shuken, combined with the recent deal to move production facilities to an office in the East Bay, does not portend well for the Pac-12 network's future. Commissioner George Klyovkov has stated publicly that the Pac-12 will remain in the content production business during the next media contract cycle, which begins in the summer of 2024. That said, there is no indication the Pac-12 networks will exist in their current form as a media distribution company. In fact, the news release issued two weeks ago about the move to San Ramon was framed this way, the Pac-12 announced the relocation of its San Francisco production studio. It said nothing about the Pac-12 networks, the linear media company with a national feed and six regional feeds. If the model is changing, as Wilner suggests, he foresees two options, an entity that produces streaming-only content about Pac-12 Olympic sports, or a production facility that provides Pac-12 Olympic sports content and produces sporting events for a major digital media company like Amazon or Apple. CBS's Dennis Dodd makes the case for San Diego State to join the Pac-12, writing, after years of priming itself in hopes the West Coast's flagship conference would notice, SDSU doesn't have to flirt anymore. Aztecs AD John David Wicker, we basically went from, hey, you're doing a good job. Your break is coming, to, you're the only team in Southern California that plays FBS football that isn't in the Big Ten. People in this town will lose their mind if, in the same academic year, they get a brand new football stadium and San Diego State goes into the Pac-12. Wicker also points out that Pac-12 folks have been impressed with what we've done. Pac-12 Commissioner George Klyovkov said to invest in football. I have a $310 million investment in Snapdragon Stadium. You want San Diego State in your league at a full media rights share because you don't want us in the Big 12. All the Big 12 schools would have a reason to come to Southern California to recruit. Middle Tennessee State yesterday broke ground on its $66 million, 85,000-square-foot student-athlete performance center, which will feature a nutrition station, strength and conditioning room and an athletic training room equipped with hydrotherapy pools. Additionally, 
The first floor will be the new home for the Blue Raider football team with a new locker room and players' lounge and equipment room. Blue Raiders AD Chris Massaro adds, Today marks the latest milestone in a project that countless Blue Raiders have worked on and dreamed of for many years. The Student Athlete Performance Center is transformational for our department, the university, and for our community. We will be able to better develop our players, attract top-notch recruits, and make our student-athlete experience second to none. Georgia will delay its request to fund upgrades to Foley Field from February to the spring due to the impact inflation has had on costs. If approved by the UGA Athletics Board of Directors, the project would still commence shortly after the baseball season ends. Per the Athens Banner Herald's Mark Weiser, who reports, an initial price tag posted in August by Turner Construction Company on its website put the price tag at $28 million, but costs have soared past that and completion of the project now isn't expected to be completed until the 2025 season. UGA is also making enhancements to the Jack Turner softball complex with similar timelines. And Bulldogs AD Josh Brooks explains, As you can imagine during this time of really heightened inflation, we've had to be very intentional about being smart with the design for both facilities. The design process is taking a little longer than normal, but I think it's smart. It's a wise process because we want to make sure everything we're doing in both these projects that we're being efficient while at the same time, maximizing our student-athlete spaces. Thank you for tuning in to the morning edition of the D1T in 5 for Friday, January 27th. We'll see you back here this afternoon.